Chaos and Tone Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Babylon 5 Season 3 episode, and The Rock Cried Out, No Hiding Place. This is one of my all-time favorite episodes, um, and so, for some pretty obvious reasons. Um, it's just so good, but um, what, I, what I love about this episode uh, is that you have two, uh, two plot threads that are ostensibly about uh getting a win you know they've been they've been fighting against everything you know all the odds and finally for once they are getting a win both londo and the army of light uh and this win uh is going to uh ripple forward uh in many different ways and i'll be excited to touch upon that when we get to it uh, so let's talk about the Army of Light sort of Sheridan section first. Um, so the uh, episode opens with a Z minus 14 days. Uh, and there's this overwhelming sense of dread that's going on at the beginning, which I really like because of how the episode is sort of wields that power over you and just feeds tension and feeds dread to you. And then slowly over time, lets the characters win. So that tension while still there for a small moment, and, you know, no matter how short, you know, abated just a little. Uh, but we will come to understand what the Z minus 14 days at the end, Z minus 10 days means in two episodes. And I look forward to talking about that then when we get to the season finale, season three, because it's a doozy. Uh, but, uh, Basically, what is going on is that Sheridan is full of stress currently. He's staying in the war room, not really sleeping. He's just in constant work mode. Reason being uh, is that the shadows are attacking in illogical ways, at least from normal perspective. Uh, and it's driving him insane. He can't figure out what's going on. In, in the midst of all of that, he has the stress of worrying about everything that's going on at Earth. Because now we get the uh, uh, more information being funneled to Babylon 5 via various different practitioners, various different figureheads of faith. Uh, you know, we have, a, uh, we have a rabbi, we have a priest, we have a reverend, etc., etc., coming to Babylon 5 to uh, hand over information about the resistance movement against Clark. And this makes perfect sense, because if you think about it, um, throughout history we have seen uh, various members of various faiths do horrible things and do good things. You know, it always depends on the, the what, what is... You know what what is the right side and what's the wrong side and you know everything that's going on in in terms of politicking and religion and stuff like that is a very complicated thing to unpack but throughout history we've also seen where we can use that to our advantage there is a lot of um you know laws in place about war and there's a lot of talk about um allowing members of the clergy to pass freely and not be affected by, you know, uh, strict immigration laws and stuff like this. Uh, and so they make the perfect spies. They make the perfect smugglers, in a way. 
Uh, and because because everybody knows that the church or whatever, you know, is safe haven. No one will be harmed there. And uh, and that leads to them being able to get information easily and then pass that information on easily. We've seen this throughout history several times, and it comes back here. Very well done by JMS pulling that in because it adds this sort of um, uh, real world stakes to what's going on. Uh, sort of grounds what's going on instead of having them have a convoluted way to get information from the resistance they get it from uh, various practitioners of various faiths and I like that it's not just one faith it's several banding together and they, they took this mission upon themselves even though the propaganda machine is saying that Babylon 5 are traitors and pirates and horrible horrible human beings they took the chance to uh, do the right thing, um, and, and that, that that's, that's overall part of the main theme of the episode, is don't let apathy get ahead of you. Do the right thing. Fight against fear. Fight against ignorance. Do the right thing. Uh, and and that will come into play when I talk about uh, the Reverend and Sheridan. But first, I want to talk about that. Uh, um, the that scene between Delin and Sheridan is uh you know the the, the sort of uh the, the 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 scene where he uh, where she's like carry on cranky uh, your face just broke the language barrier that's a hilarious scene it's one of my favorite scenes i call it one of the most adorable scenes in the show if you do not love Delin and Sheridan as a couple that scene will make you fall in love with them they are perfect for one another and I just love, not only do I love them together, I'm a big Dylan and Sheridan shipper, but it's just a hilarious scene. Um, are you thinking about illogical problems logically, or are you trying to think logically about illogical? Uh, or are you thinking illogically about logical problems? You know, it, 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 it's the perfect interplay between them, because he is tired, he is stressed, he is overworked, he has no one to share his burdens with, he's basically carrying the weight of the galaxy on his shoulders and she's trying to get him to relax and he just can't uh and that leads into that scene with the reverend um and it's a great sort of um moment where basically the reverend tries to appeal to sheridan in saying that he needs someone to carry responsibility with him because um, work and responsibility are not the same thing. Work is work, yes, and it, it, you are responsible for your work. But you have responsibilities to yourself as well. You must take care of yourself so that you can take care of others. And sometimes the needs of the self outweigh the needs of you know, the, the, the work or whatever, because you must make sure that you're at your prime so that you can work, uh, you know, accomplish your work at your prime. And that's the point of the reference speech. And Sheridan sort of turns him down immediately and goes, you know, I'm guess you're going to make me appeal to God. And, and the reference goes, no, 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 no. And, and, and that's what I like about that scene in particular, outside of what the reverend is going to say to him 
uh, is that Sheridan goes in with a preconception of where the conversation is heading and based on who he's talking to. I know that here lately uh, in my life and also just from observation, I have seen a lot of people make preconceptions about other people, including myself, because of who I am or what they, they are and what we look like, etc. And go in expecting us to say one thing or wanting us to say one thing. And when we don't, we confuse, we surprise, and we anger them. And as you can see in Sheridan's face, he's rather annoyed with the Reverend's presence because he thinks it's just a you know religious mumbo jumbo. In his opinion, he doesn't give a shit. And that's when the Reverend goes, "No, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that you need someone to shoulder your burdens. You cannot continue on your own. You have to find someone to help you. You know, you can't be Atlas holding up the world, basically." And his entire point is that when he met his wife, you know, she, you know, he, he his his room was a, you know he, you know his house was a mess. So she'd come over and she'd sweep the floor, and he he'd say, "I could do that myself. I don't need you to do that." And she's like, "If I stay at home and I sweep my floor, my floor is swept. But if I come to your home and I sweep your floor." I have now helped you and swept your floor. And that, that connotation provides a difference in the fact that, one, uh, if you just sweep your floor, you just swept your floor, you've done work, you're done. If you sweep someone else's floor, you've helped them out. Most likely you've ha had a good time, you spent time with them, uh, and you've bonded. Uh, that friendship, that, uh, the, whatever relationship you have, is strengthened as a result. Um, and it, it is just about finding sort of happiness and resolve in helping others. And Sheridan is ultimately afraid of having someone else shoulder the burden with him. Uh, and he's afraid of what Dylan actually means to him. And the entire point of the Reverend's speech is you know, fight the fear. Fear leads to apathy. Apathy leads to compliance. You must fight fear. And that, that is literally his sermon at the end of, you know, what is the enemy? The enemy is not, you know, the people who disagree with you. The enemy is not those that are different. The enemy is not those uh, that, you know, that, that raise up in arms against you. The enemy is fear. And the enemy is ignorance. Because fear and ignorance lead to hate. And hate will come back to kill you. Fear is the enemy. Not anything else. Uh, and, of course, at the end, we get the reveal of the White Star Fleet. Uh, which I love that the White Star introduced in this season, we were under the assumption it was a one of a kind, you know, a melding of Vorlon and Membari tech. And we, we were never led to believe that there was a more in production. And yet there were. And I like how, of course, they, they, not only would they be in production, that makes sense, this was a prototype, but also, of course, we wouldn't know because it's on a need-to-know basis. 
the importance of a need to know when you're fighting a war against a shadow or you know any kind of enemy that has great intel you know you're trying to be secret as much as they are you have to keep things on a need to know basis which makes perfect sense and of course Dylan and Sheridan share their first kiss not via time travel as per when Sheridan was kissed by Dylan in the future uh, and they've sort of cemented their bond in their relationship going forward. Now let's talk about the Londo section of this episode. Probably my favorite section of the episode. Fantastic stuff. May I state, it is so satisfying to see Rifa dead. Just, you want, the moment he appeared back in season two, you wanted to stab him in the gut. Just, just slit his throat, let him die, let him bleed out. You wanted him to die, and now he's dead, and it's so satisfying. So what I love most about this section of the episode is that Londo plays Rifa like a fiddle, in the fact that Rifa is a child playing politics, and we only see things from Veer's perspective. So JMS cleverly gives us the wrong impression until he twists the knife so that we, much like Rifa, are surprised at the conclusion. And then we get to see the master plan that Londo was raveling, you know, unraveling. He was uh, spinning this plan. He was two steps ahead. Um, so basically the Prime Minister is like, hey, uh, the, the House of Rifa and the House of Malare are in, uh, you know, a bit of a rivalry now. When the back, uh, back, uh, you know, several years ago, you guys were alliance. Now you're in a bit of rivalry. This must end, as per the order of the emperor. Um, and it is my jurisdiction to, uh, to have Jewish prudence over it and just say one of you must go. The end. You know, it must stop. And. Rifa's answer to this is to say, yes, I agree. Londo's answer to this is, I will prove my house worth by getting rid of a thorn in your side. Notice that Rifa, he's in a position that he's he's never had as much power as he's had as he has now. And he doesn't understand the full weight of that power. He's using it for self-indulgent, selfish you know, reasons. And he is, once again, a child. He sees power and he grabs it and he holds on to it and he's he, he's freely, freely about with all of the uh, things you can get from power. Wealth, you know, privilege, you know, etc. Um, and he is not paying attention to the larger ramifications of having that power. Londo goes, okay, well, I need to get rid of him for several reasons, in fact. First, I think, you know, uh, he killed you know, he killed my uh, loved one, Adira, so I need personal revenge against him. I want to get rid of him because, well, the shadows have been dealing with him, and he went behind my back to deal with the shadows, and I've already threatened him once. I know he's going to retaliate, and I think he's already retaliated by killing Adira. And... The rivalry must end as per the order of the Emperor and the Prime Minister. So guess what? Boom. Two birds, one stone. And so he cleverly tells Veer, I want to get rid of Jakar. 
And this is a multi-pronged thing. Veer trusts Londo, and Londo trusts Veer. Their bond is very, very close. But the thing is, is that Londo knows that Riva has telepath with him. So, if he tells Veer one thing, even if he tells the truth, he knows that Veer will never you know, give up that information willingly. Veer would die before he gave up his friend. But he doesn't have to die for Reefa to get the information. So if he falsifies the evidence and gives him false information, this will, one, you know, uh, sort of make Veer question things because uh, Veer thinks that Londo is trying to make things better, and then all of a sudden he's turning against Jakar, and he knows that Londo doesn't like needless bloodshed like that, so that's going to be on the top of his mind, so it'll be easier for the telepath to get to him instead of having to, you know, go through several walls. And then, two, when Rifa Nevely comes to Veer, because Veer is seen as weak and a nothing Centauri, uh, that when he grabs him, well, guess what? He'll be given the wrong information, thus leading him directly into Londo's trap. It makes perfect sense. It, it, Veer becomes a sacrificial lamb, a, a the fall guy, the linchpin, whatever you want to call it. Sure, that is rather harsh of Londo to do to his friend, but it also makes perfect sense. And this is the way Centauri mentality works. Uh, and while he absolutely, you know, cares for Veer, this was important, which means he has to do this, whether uh, that means getting Veer uh, in a particularly sticky situation or not, he has to do it. And it's important to note with that, you notice that Rifa once again proves he's a child playing politics. Rifa thinks that if he basically strong arms his way into getting the information he needs, he takes information, uh, that that will lead him to the correct thing. Whereas London knows you got to play a game. And to play a game, you don't strong arm your way to the finish line. What you do is you mislead and distract others so that you can quickly get to the finish line before anyone else. AKA, you spread misinformation, which is exactly my point. Uh, and that leads ultimately to uh, getting Jakar to go back to Narn uh, so that there would be a reason for Rafa to go and capture the last of the Kadri. And it's Natoth, by the way, that is brought up. Uh, and, I, and I like how um, uh, Natoth has not been mentioned in quite some time. I mentioned uh, before. Uh, that she was played by one actress in season one and then a different actress in season two. Uh, the first actress left because the makeup uh, and everything was a bit difficult for her. Uh, and while she enjoyed playing the part, uh, she didn't want to go through all that, that makeup. And then uh, uh, she ended up showing up later as a human in season two. Uh, and then the other actress played the character very differently from the original actress, and so JMS just basically wrote the character out of the show. And that leads to this plot point, that Natoth may have been captured and may be on Narn. And of course we see that the Centauri are building a replica of the royal palace on Narn. Uh, keep that for future reference. And 
in that moment, you know, he goes, he, Jakar goes to Narn, and I, and I love how we get to see what Narn is like after the bombardment from last season. Nothing that, that's been, you know, bombarded with mass drivers is going to be a pleasant place anymore. And we see that the dust particulates are everywhere, that the wind never stops, it's growing colder. It's going to take years for some of those particles to go come back down to the ground. The climate, the entire atmosphere is changing. This is, you know, the home of Chakar. It's a shell of its former self. And uh, we are led to believe that Rifa is going to kill Chakar. Because it's not until that great moment when Rifa goes, Oh, what are you waiting for? You know, and uh, Jakar goes, This. And that's the hologram of Londo shows up. And Londo just trounces on on uh, Rifa and just, you know, walks circles around him practically going, I played you like a fool. And this is all the reasons that you're not going to make it out of this situation alive. Just wonderful it's one of my all-time favorite scenes in the show not my all-time favorite but one of my all-time favorites and of course there's that intercut between uh sheridan and co singing uh you know the 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 the, the song uh, uh the rock crying out no hiding place and the the brutal murder of rifa and uh such a well-deserved death uh, and such that well executed. There are no hiding places for your sin. That's the point of that song. Eventually, you must answer for your past. And then, Londo gifts the Prime Minister with the data crystal, convinces him that Rifa was a traitor, thus discrediting his house, getting rid of him, and the stain that he was on the Satari people, because that's what uh, Londo was always after. It wasn't just about revenge for Adira. It was about the situation in, the, in order to help his people, he must get rid of the stain that he helped create. And he is right. Rifa, all he cared about was power and pride. It's probably the only truthful thing Londo says to the Prime Minister. And that, if the rock cried out no hiding place, it is a fantastic episode. I still remember how I felt when I first watched it. it you just cheer when, you know, Rifa is murdered. You just can't help it. It's just so good. And of course, um, it's, it's worth noting that Jakar doesn't participate. He looks at the other Narn, brutally beating Rifa to death, stomping on him, tearing him, just beating him to a bloody pulp. And then he walks away. The Jakar that we used to know would have gladly joined in, gladly beaten Rifa to a bloody pulp because he was a Centauri, and that's what he deserved. But the Jakar that we know now has broken away from the cycles of violence that his people are still locked in. And he's become a far better person. I'll see you next time. 
anyway, bye.